The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Farmer, psychotherapist, shamanic practitioner, author, and teacher, and I'll be exploring with you ways to connect with spirit animals, ancestors, spirits of nature, how to heal from trauma, and many other topics. So stay tuned. Hello again, Dr. Stephen Farmer here, and I have a very special guest today. Uh, you know, I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we have. Um, and again, welcome to Healing for Your Soul. And today, uh, friend, Margarita Korsakova, who has uh, transported herself from her homeland of Russia to Istanbul, Turkey as a result of the war that's going on there between Russia and the Ukraine. I'm going to uh, ask a few questions uh, by way of introduction to start with, with Margarita, just in terms of her work. It's fascinating the, the number of uh, skills and talent she has as both a healer and a teacher. So I think you'll enjoy hearing more about her. Margarita, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Believe. I think before we go into, you know, what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, I want to uh, give the listeners a little bit more of your background. Uh, the, the things that we've discussed, you know, we can go into a little bit more detail. Uh, one is that you have created a beautiful tarot deck. And I, I called it the French tarot. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, because uh, there are original school that uh, I'm using as a reference uh, is French and it was created by Dr. Papus and uh, now it's mostly in Russia and Russian speaking countries because in the US and other English speaking countries uh, you uh, use the decks that were created um, with the inspiration from uh, Arthur uh, Waite uh, Tarot, uh, Rider Waite Tarot, a and or uh, Alistair Crowley's deck, the Thought Tarot. And uh, of course, uh, we have them too, but uh, the school that I'm working with is based on the French Tarot, French Tarot deck. Okay, yeah, and thank you again. You gifted me uh, with the, the French Tarot, or based on the French Tarot, I should say. Wow, very prolific too. And you have another one that's sort of in the wings. 
Uh, yeah, we almost uh, have all the drawings finished, but uh, with the problems with printing industry, I don't know when <laughs> we can send it out <laughs> into the world, but I hope unknown. Someday. Yeah. Well, some of the other um, healings that you do, uh, you do shamanic healing, past life regression. And what I consider to be very healing is a death doula, something that you've explored and now you're actively uh, teaching and counseling people. I want to hear about, I'd like to hear about each of those. Let's start with the past life regression, then we'll get to the death doula. Well, past life regressions, um, it's a very... um, nice instrument to work with uh, trauma from previous lives uh, and also with some problems that occur in your real life but uh, have the reason in the past uh, and not in your like past in this life but from past lives and uh, it's a very healing process uh, it's somewhat close to hypnosis but uh, the technique is a bit different and we work not only with psyche but we also work with energy that way and uh, even with the uh, karmic connections uh, I yeah I did a couple of past life regressions years ago and I still remember them I had one that was a whole story I don't need to go into the story but a whole story about a life I led Oh, 200 plus years ago here in California. And I founded a town. I mean, it was really quite enlightening. I lost yeah. one of my children. It just, it was like a whole uh, movie <laughs> yeah. that I got from this uh, past life regression. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't record it. I did end up writing about it, you know, at the time, but we're talking quite a few years ago, but uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, way to understand uh, difficulties and challenges and problems here in the here and now, you know, present yeah. day. And what about not you? only understand, but to also heal them because we yes. uh, do the special process that helps to rewrite the past. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, it can continue in this life the different way. So Nice, nice. Hmm. Rewrite the past. I like that idea. We'll have to talk about that more at some other point, but yeah, rewriting the past. (laughs) Um, Shamanic healing, what what does that mean to you? What do you do with shamanic healing? Uh, I do mostly the work with ancestors and ancestral healing and uh, also soul retrieval and uh, different ways of shamanic healing and working with the cleansing, with the help of the spirit guides. uh, And uh, also I can get some information from uh, my shamanic journeys that can help either me or my clients or both. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, having a practice myself in that, as well as psychotherapy, it's, a lot of times it seems, not seems, I think it's even more efficient yeah. than other more traditional ways of healing. So I'm, I'm with you. The one that jumps out, of course, at me and I'm fascinated by it is death doula. Unlike, uh, well, si- similar to, I guess, a birthing doula, 
I don't know what that that's called exactly, but this is on the other end. Yeah, yeah, sure. So say, say some about your experience in your practice, etc., with being um, a death doula. Well, basically, being a death doula, it's uh, exactly the opposite of being a birth doula, uh, because I accompany people in dying, or when their loved ones are dying, and. I also accompany them in the grieving process. Hmm. Uh, and we can also do death doula work when we are not physically dying, but a part of us is. For example, if we are getting uh, a divorce or if our professional identity changes or we go through some major transformations and we feel that, well, us as we were before are dead and no longer here and we need to somehow reconnect with uh, ourselves again and um, so with people who are in this situation I also work a lot uh, and of course I also work uh, with the fear of death and fear of dying because well I think most of us fear death and dying (laughs) Uh, and uh, physically we will till the end, but existentially uh, we can overcome this fear, and I help my clients to do that. Uh, You have people that specifically want to work with you as a death doula. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. For for example, one of my clients, uh, she lost her mother to cancer, and uh, I accompanied her. uh, I think we worked three months uh, before her mother's death uh, as she was dying, and now we are working with the early stages of grief. So that too, of course, you know, that naturally comes with any major transition like death or I like what you said about um, uh, the metaphor of our lives being a series of births, deaths, birth, deaths. I've always enjoyed that because I look back on my own history and I go, yeah, you know, there were some real transitions. I wish I had you available at that time to help (laughs) me walk through some of this stuff, you know, but letting go, you know, let's say of an old identity or an old role, or anything that might have been problematic, it makes complete sense. I didn't, I didn't know that about your work as a death doula, that you're also dealing with uh, transitional phases in someone's life. Yeah, That's, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, being on the, shall we say, myself personally, the cusp of uh, oh, uh, moving into an elder status, you know, which is actually a process. It's not, definitely not an event. And having to identify some of those realities about that to let those go. Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think of a good example would be, uh, oh, certain uh, certain exercises. You know, although I'm an exercise addict, you know, it's really, yeah. really important. Uh, certain exercises, like I used to do a, a thing called CrossFit, which has very been very popular here in the States. Yeah. It's a very intense exercise. And for when the pandemic hit, I stopped going. And now two and a half years after that, I went, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, but I've got my own gym set up here. I'm fine with that. You know, I don't have to be as intense as I once was. And so that's like a, a shift, uh, a really big shift for me. 
It doesn't mean I don't exercise, but not that way anymore. You know, there's different ways. Um, have you personally been with anyone as they were dying? Has that come up for you? Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, family members and also clients too. Um, I've lost a lot of family members who fortunately were elderly and also uh, some friends who unfortunately were young. Mm. Uh, and of course, with my clients, uh, I also accompanied people in death and dying. There was, I've only had one experience like that, Margarita. And it was, uh, again, I don't want to go on the whole story about it, but I was called to attend to someone who was dying that was um, a friend of my younger daughter. I have two daughters, younger daughter at the time when she was an adolescent and now has grown up. It was a young man who was dying of uh, cancer. And I got to say, it was, it was an amazing experience. A lot of times we toss around this word awesome. You know, like uh, it always cracks me up when a, somebody that's giving me change or something or I'm paying for an order and they say, oh, good, thanks. That's awesome. Went, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not awesome. You know, they, let me show you a sunset, a beautiful. That's awesome. You know, or being with somebody who's dying. And my other uh, piece I want to share with that is my sister, who my beloved sister who lives in Minnesota, uh, has attended some people who were dying and i asked her a very simple question i said what do you bring when you're tending to someone who's going through the death process long pause and she said one word grace and i'll always remember that i could i get it you know that makes sense yeah. you know just based on my one experience like a, a sense of grace and all the other associations with that word great well let's move on to uh the elephant in the room so to speak <laughs> in <Yeah>. other words <laughs> you know the big picture here that's going on with um the ukraine and russia and the war there and obviously having affected you most intimately and directly in having made a move to uh, turkey to istanbul and so if I'd like to talk a little bit about that experience and what's going on there and knowing that you've, you're counseling people that are going through this stuff. Mm. Did you know that you had to get out? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> funny question. No, it's not funny because war is not funny. But uh, actually, uh, I went... Not so long time ago, like maybe three weeks or a month ago, I went through my uh, texts to my boyfriend, who is Ukrainian, and he's in Ukraine now. Uh, and uh, since the first day of war, we were texting a lot. And I found my text to him uh, three days after the war started. And I was like, well, uh, for sure, after what happened, uh, after Russia invading Ukraine, I cannot stay in this country anymore. Uh, but uh, probably I just have to wait till it's over to see which countries are open for Russians and I will be able to move. 
And this message was sent to him on the 27th of February. And on the 3rd of March, I packed one suitcase and I left Russia for good. Hmm. Was it um, difficult to make that decision? What did you have to go through? to? Yeah, for sure it was. I mean, I was thinking about uh, the immigration, but it w- this was on and off for a couple of years. And I've never thought that I would move to Turkey. Um, I thought of Europe, maybe, because my father lives in Latvia and my sister is in Germany. Uh, So I thought that maybe being closer to them would be nice, but uh, I didn't have any choice uh, because I started to counseling people almost right away and I still do it voluntarily. The people who suffered from the war, a lot of Ukrainians come to me, uh, those who are uh, able uh, or still want to talk in Russian. and I understood that what's going on, it's awful, it's uh, unfair, and uh, I just couldn't walk the same streets. Uh, so I packed uh, a bag and I left. And I didn't know anything about how I am going to legalize in Turkey and uh, will I be able to get the documents, uh, which... I was able to, thanks God. And uh, I didn't even think if I'm going to return or not. Because at first, when it all started, I thought that, well, it cannot be for long. (laughs) You know, I I was... I don't know what I was thinking about because I'm not a war expert for sure. I'm an expert in helping people. Uh, and uh, I never thought that it can be like going months and months. Uh, and when I left Russia, I didn't know what <laughs> to wait for. And um, I wasn't sure if I'm going to return or not. But now it's obvious that... Uh, I cannot return because uh, of my volunteer work and even because that I call the war the war. (laughs) You call the war the war versus... Yeah, they call it a special operation. Special operations. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of the story, uh, the book 1984. Uh, He had something, George Orwell said, newspeak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. changing the language so you go ahead the the language changed a lot in russia and uh, now when i talk to some people who are still there they're afraid to talk and they're afraid to call the war the war and here in turkey it's easy because though Turkey is quite neutral but uh, they say that it's a war they try to uh, help to communicate between the 
sites and uh, so on. And most, uh, if not all, of the immigrants who left Russia and came here, they came here <laughs> for the same reason, because they're uh, against the war, because they say that it's uh, very bad <laughs> that is going on, and because they don't agree with the government and the things that they push and now all of us here, we can call the war the war, but we cannot come back. Wow. So leaving just with your suitcase, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. And you said uh, you mentioned that Margarita um, said too that a lot of people left, and people are still leaving. As I understand from a previous conversation, uh, I don't really know what the numbers are at this point, but uh, something I remember you saying uh, about a week ago about seven hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, left. that's the evaluation from the Forbes Journal. Uh, of course, Russian government denies it. And they say that now not so many people uh, have left, but uh, we w I don't think that we will ever get the official statistics from the Russian government uh, unless it changes. <laughs> uh, but uh, the numbers that Forbes uh, and uh, other countries uh, give us, it's maybe with uh, the with people who left uh, at the beginning of the war, like I did, and now people who are continue to live, I think it's roughly, it can be about a million. Again, I'm not an expert, but there are a lot of people here. And for example, today uh, I went uh, for a walk and uh, to get some coffee and chat with my friend. And uh, it's Monday. And we've met more Russians than we've met local people. Oh, wow. You just walk the streets and everyone is speaking Russian. And huh. uh, these are young people and uh, uh, a lot of young men and women and families. They're also with children. Some of them are working their dogs and everyone is speaking Russian. Wow. So that's evidence right there of, of a good sampling of how yeah. many people have actually migrated, you know, into other countries and other lands. Well, God bless Turkey, you know, for being open yeah. and receiving. And are there some uh, countries that are also accessible? Uh, shall we call them escapees? Um, yeah, they mostly uh, have borders uh, or close to Russia, it's, of course, Georgia, uh, Armenia, uh, also Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, 
Moldova and uh, Moldavia and uh, countries like that who are close to Russia and with some of them we don't need visas. But now, of course, the situation is changing. And for example, Georgia, um, who was a safe place to go for many of Russians and a lot of people immigrated there. Uh, now they're talking about uh, maybe uh, establishing visas for Russian citizens. And uh, you said your father lives in Latvia. Uh, yeah. But he will probably have to leave. <laughs> because? Because of the new regulations uh, into uh, the Latvian laws and uh, Latvian government, uh, they don't want to prolong the uh, permit to stay for Russian citizens. Oh, man. Even so, those who are against the war, even those who haven't been uh, in Russia since the war began, um, it doesn't matter. They say that it's a threat to, to their safety and the safety of their country, and a lot of people uh, will need to leave as soon as their documents are over. They cannot renew them. And, well... Actually, it hurts a lot and uh, it's a big problem because a lot of people have children who uh, go to Latvian schools, they speak Latvian language, uh, They, some of them have jobs or businesses, almost all of them have apartments or houses and they will not be able just to access that. Oh my goodness, yeah. And then the people that have uh, departed Russia too, that like yourself, you've had to leave quite a bit behind in order to do so, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, probably I will not be able to return anyway soon unless uh, the government is gone and there is a new one. Uh, because just for saying that war is war and you're against it, you can, well, first you get a, a huge fee. And if you continue to say something like this, you can go to jail up to 10 years, maybe. Wow. And then there, the, the uh, of course, we, we get the news, you know, secondhand, actually. But uh, this idea that, uh, what is it, 300 plus thousand men were conscripted yeah to to mobilize and then go to the war but again from what i understand without a whole lot of training just kind of like throwing them a rifle and saying go uh yes there are rumors well uh, actually now they're not uh only rumors but there are evidence that people who were mobilized as they say in the end of september uh some of them are already dead so they didn't have enough or maybe whatsoever training and now they're dying and for some i don't know imaginable cause and saving face i think is what it's called maybe yeah maybe yeah, yeah. it's really sad you're you said your boyfriend of course i i know this but um is he able to join you or is there restrictions at this point? No, the there are restrictions. Uh, he's not serving in the army because uh, he's not in very good health for that. But he, uh, because he's still a man, he cannot leave. 
the borders uh, of the Ukraine are closed for old men who are uh, older than 18 and younger than 60. So, yeah, men in that age range can't yeah. leave. Yeah, only and women I and children and elderly people can leave. Okay. How do you, do you stay in contact with him then? Apparently you do. Yeah, yeah, we are... <laughs> We are fortunate enough to have uh, contact because he, uh, his city is uh, quite far from the front line. Uh, and as we say, these days it's quite safe there, which means that there are only a few missiles that are flying to uh, the city. Only a few. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that... Uh, in my judgment, uh, that's the worst of it is the civilians yeah. you know, that are being massacred, basically. Uh, it's enough to have soldiers fighting a war and, you know, the missiles going back and forth, but to have uh, intentional bombings of civilian areas, I think, is beyond reprehensible. You know, that's yeah. my strong opinion. Um, do you find you, you're counseling people that are still living there, though, either Ukraine or Russia? Is that correct? Uh, yes. And I also counsel people who uh, already left Ukraine, for example, who are, who are staying in Poland now or in Germany or in some other European countries, but also with people who are staying in Ukraine. So you're giving a lot. You're providing a lot. You said volunteering too. I want to yeah, restate yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. All, all my work that I do with the Ukrainians, so with counseling, it's all volunteering. Yeah. Well, God bless you. Thank you for doing that too. Uh, it can be a thankless job. Uh, how do you, um, how would I say, balance that though? You're giving so much. Do you, do you have like self-care routines that, that help balance these out? Yes, yes. And I think I've never had <laughs> so much self-care. Okay, uh, good. Now I do, of course, I meditate and I do shamanic journeys and shamanic processes for myself. And uh, I also keep on a very healthy diet and I do yoga and Pilates and I do breathing exercises and embodiment. So basically I use all of the tools that I can to just keep me sane. Yeah. You know, and you're walking your talk too. I like that about, it. yeah, you'd have to, you know, to stay in some kind of a balance plus again, um, giving out, you know, so much of your care and your love to the people that need that. Um, and you're only one person, <laughs> you know, you, oh. Fortunately, I'm not alone because there are a lot of volunteers who help and they're both from Ukrainian side and from Russian side who are against the war. Most of them, of course, these people from Russia who try to help, most of them are in immigration now, of course, because it's not safe to do any help from Russia. That's That would be my next question is uh, people that are on, uh, in the country have to be extremely careful about what they say if they are yeah. protesting the war. Uh, <laughs> well, if you are protesting the war, 
you are not safe if you are in Russia, of course, because the police is very brutal and there are a lot of cases of torture and rape and other horrible things that are happening to the protesters. And sometimes uh, it's not people, people are not even going in the streets. They, uh, for example, write some text on their social media and uh, the police comes to their houses and wow. arrest them. And So there, yeah, there's, there's really no way to feel safe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you get a sense in, uh, since you've been in Istanbul, well, it doesn't matter where you are exactly, but from counseling so many people and everything, do you see a shift in the war? Do you get a sense that it's shifting one way or the other? Because, you know, we get, again, we get the news, oh, the Russians did this and oh, the Ukrainians did this, but it's hard Uh, to tell. It's shifting, but it's a process. Uh, For example, uh from what i can hear from ukrainians is uh at the beginning of the war uh of course uh people were shocked and people were in extremely traumatized situation uh but uh most of them wanted to fight till the end and uh after Several months, I've started to hear more and more people who uh, said that they were very tired of the war and they just want everything to stop. But now, since the annexion of the territories and also with the bombing of the uh, infrastructure and uh, cities, now people are still, uh, are again, more mobilized and they want to fight till the end, till the, uh, till the victory of Ukraine. That Ukrainians. Yes, yes, yes. They're feeling more motivated. Yeah. To yeah because Ru- Russian like people our- are not motivated from the start. And I think they will, now it's, it will be just worse and worse because the economy is bad and uh, people are, uh, called to army, uh, people who don't have any experience and they don't know how to fight and they're being taken from their families and no one likes that, of course. So. Yeah, and, you know, one of the sidelights that we discussed, um, you know, just an interesting outcome of this whole process is the people that had to um, emigrate had to leave behind their pets and you said there are people in the country that are sort of rounding up a lot of these animals that have been left behind the dogs the cats etc yeah to find placement this is really heartbreaking actually because it's happening uh, uh both in russia and uh, in ukraine And there are a lot of uh, volunteers and uh, shelters and uh, people who are helping to uh, save the animals, feed them, find them new home and maybe uh, just help them any way they can. And uh, in Russia, they also get a lot of hate. (laughs) The the people? uh, Yeah. The volunteers, yeah, who are helping animals. They get a lot of hate. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. 
though we understand that animals are innocent, uh, the volunteers who help them in Russia, they get criticized from the both sides. Uh, for example, if they uh, help uh, animals and pets of the immigrants, they get criticized by the people who somehow, I, I don't know why, but support the war. And they say that, yeah, well, you're trying to help the pets of the traitors. Uh, and if they help uh, to um, save the pets of the people who got called into the army, uh, they get uh, criticized from the people who are against the war and who are saying, yeah, well, their uh, host went to kill innocent people and now you're helping their dogs and cats. And I mean, the dogs and cats, they are innocent. <laughs> yeah, they just got caught up in all this stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in spite of the uh, disagreements, though, I'm glad to hear that there's people that are willing again to do something very courageous, you know, in spite of the criticism and uh, judgments that are heaped on them for doing this. And not just for the pets, but, you know, to be able to speak out to those people who have uh, left Russia and that yeah. are able, like you said, you, it's not just you, but there are quite a few people that are volunteering to provide some counseling and such. Um, a personal question, if I may, is uh, going back to what you, we were talking about with the death doula, the grieving. Do you find there are periods or have been, I guess, over the eight months, I'm guessing there have been where you just, you allow yourself to grieve the losses? Yeah, it's on and off, I guess. And um, I would like to say that it's normal process for grieving, that uh, it goes in phases and in waves and it can be on and off, but it's not normal because we're all in the huge collective trauma and uh, the grieving process is ongoing because the war is still going on and I don't know when or if we are going to be able to grieve all of the losses. Uh, and it's uh, people yeah. and uh, it's losses of home and the uh, feeling of safety and also a lot of friends uh, who are uh, maybe they're not dead, but uh, they decided that they have a different opinion. And now it's like a huge stop factor to uh, talk to them. And um, there are also in Russia a lot of uh, uh, breakups in families uh, for example when parents are supporting the regime and the, the young generation is not or maybe in a couple uh, a wife and husband have different opinions and they divorce and there are a lot of cases like that and also of course with the Ukrainians and all of the lost lives and uh, houses and everything basically the normal life uh, it's just finished and we need a lot of time and a lot of resource and a lot of courage to process all of this and it's still going on uh, because usually of course we have this thing that's called anticipatory grief it's when you're already grieving though the person uh, is still not dead it, it's like with cancer patients for example uh, but uh, 
with the huge collective traumas like that, um, anticipatory grief, it's probably not enough <laughs> to call all the things that we're going through. And after this uh, war finishes and oh, let's just pray that it will finish soon. Yeah. And after that, we have to go through this grieving process. And after that, the healing process. And it will be generations long, I think. Because my sister, for example, she lives in Germany. And there, there are still uh, bombs that are left from the Second World War. And they wow. still find them and I unmind them. For example, last week she had to uh, take her baby, her dog, and leave the house because they were uh, uh, trying to <laughs> get this bomb out of the road or something. Wow. And so many, and the war has finished in 1945, and now it's not over yet and how much time will we need to just <laughs> make everything safe from the ground until the human psyche i i don't know yeah there i i think what you said about um for generations um the studies that have been showing up lately about intergenerational yeah uh, traumas that are passed along without sometimes even the children or the grandchildren of the trauma survivor, for instance, the Holocaust, yeah. even knowing that, but an inordinate amount of grief, an inordinate amount of depression, anxiety, etc. Even the babies that were born when uh, with the 9-11 here in the States, uh, when the mothers were pregnant, the, the infants were shown to have a considerable amount of what we would call anxiety if an infant can feel something called anxiety, but that restlessness, that agitate, that activation, that continual activation. So I agree with you. It's going to go on for some time. Well, uh, before we close, I, I just want to ask you is those of us who are hearing this, uh, the people that are listening to the podcast or that gets passed along, uh, what can we do? You know, what would, what can we do to support the resolution? of this conflict this in i think we can all pray and ask our spirit guides to help to navigate this problem and of course you can donate uh, and uh, you can donate to red cross or you can donate to volunteers who help animals in ukraine uh, I know that it's not possible to donate to Russia and probably that's not a good idea right now for sure because, mm. you know, and I know which side I'm on. So that's why I ask you to donate. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and thankfully too. Yeah, donate to Ukrainian organizations that help uh, with humanitarian help and who help with medicine and uh, to animal care and the Red Cross, of course, and other institutions like that. Yeah, and I, um, I, my suggestion would be for those of you listening, if you would care to do something like this, is just do a search, you know, do a search, sure. explore a little bit what's available, where, like you said, the Red Cross is a 
well-known organization. Yeah, and it's and really easy to search now because all of these volunteers and all of these organizations who are helping in Ukraine, they, I think they all have websites and uh, they are international. So you can uh, Google it in English language and it will be easier. They have Ukrainian version and the English version of their websites. Excellent. They accept donations from everywhere. All right, gang, you all heard that. So uh, prayers at minimum, you know. So in fact, uh, before we close, I'd just like to take uh, 10, maybe 15 seconds just of silence and an opportunity for us and those of you listening just to send those prayers, your love, your care, etc., to the people that are suffering in the war. I personally, I like to blow those prayers, you know, through my hands. So Margarita, uh, I can't thank you enough, you know, for uh, doing this podcast. And I trust that it will be a learning experience for people listening. And also that, uh, you know, even just uh, when you say your bedtime prayers, you know, again, send prayers and love and care and your spirit guides and uh, eagle, you know, to people who are suffering. And I would say the people, not to make divisiveness, but the people in Russia and Ukraine that are suffering, because there's a lot of very innocent victims of this war on both sides, you know, in spite of uh, (laughs) some others, let's say, that are creating this fiasco. So thank you, Margarita, and God bless you. And thank you for doing your work. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) You got it. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you join me for future episodes where I'll share some powerful healing practices and meditations, introduce you to some amazing guests and friends of mine who will stop by for some conversation, and on occasion, I'll pull some oracle cards from one of my decks and do readings. I'll also share some of my original music that I'm sure you'll enjoy. If you like what I'm doing, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to my show page on mindbodyspirit.fm where you can also get the free mobile app to listen to any of my shows or find some new favorites. If you'd like to contact me with questions, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram or send an email to info at drstephenfarmer.com. You can also find lots of material on that website, drstephenfarmer.com, so please feel free to explore. Please also know that by sending a question, you're giving me permission to possibly use it in a future podcast so others may benefit from it. And to close, I'd leave you with the four most important words to take with you. Gratitude, love, compassion, and forgiveness.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.